This is Dead Stick Radio, episode 22, recorded Tuesday, December 28, 2022. One Moment Racing with Thomas Lockwood. This episode is brought to you by Flying Bricks, creators of custom Lego kits for aviation and air race enthusiasts. Check them out on Facebook, F-L-Y-I-N-G-B-R-I-X. This is Scott and Brian here. And we're sitting here with Thomas Lockwood on the mic. Uh, Rosalind Ricard is in the room as well, listening in. And uh, we thought we'd talk a little bit, a little bit about racing, a little bit about uh, racing fans, a little bit about going really fast, and a little bit about what you know, Thomas. Okay. So um, why don't we start back at the beginning? How did you discover uh, air racing? Oof. It's probably the place to start, because that's kind of where the the real story begins, I think. Well, the it's not a happy story. Uh, I was still in college, and I would open up the news waiting for classes to start, and on the homepage, I uh, happened to see Galloping Ghost for the first time, and there was the headline that a bunch of people had died. So, of course, I opened the article being completely surprised and confused, and then seeing the videos was pretty shook up. And no one else in my classes or, or friends knew anything about what was going on. So I had to go figure it out myself and started doing research into uh, the ghost and racing in Reno. And I knew about racing like historically because I had a, a toy GB growing up. Um, but it never occurred to me that racing still happened. And I'd seen like the Miss America RC models because I was in the RC stuff at the time. But that was when I realized that Reno still existed. So so did you end up going there or what, what happened? How'd you get involved though? Because you're now very involved in Reno. Yeah, so I continued to do research on it with what was available on the internet, found forums and Facebook groups and stuff. And I think they live streamed it for the next couple of years. So I watched the live streams from school and then I graduated in 14 and so I watched the 14 races from my home after I graduated but I was already in the Hampton Roads area so I guess I could have gone that year just never dawned on me Hampton Roads Virginia right yeah like coastal Virginia yeah so after I graduated and went to work in July and on I never thought that I had money all of a sudden I could actually afford a flight across the country to, to go to Reno so the plan was always to go to Reno in 15 and just go for a weekend. But um, kind of got fed up with my job. I was working for the feds at the time and uh, got kind of bored with that. So wanted to go. I was afraid I was going to lose like my engineering degree that I just worked hard to get because I hadn't done math in a long time. And uh, I remembered watching the most recent live stream when the guys would take off. They would say where they were from. I remember either Virginia Beach or Norfolk, Virginia coming up. So I went through the race results to find who those people were. And uh, so Andy Finley's name came up and ended up reaching out to him. And uh, he got back to me like three days later or something, said to come out to the airport. And I had never done anything in general aviation. So I was really confused about come out to the airport and drive onto the taxiway and find the hangar and all that stuff. So, So that was how I got into it. So was Andy's plane red back then, white? No, it had the the first wrap. So it was still white, mostly white. Didn't have the chainsaw on the wings yet. 
Right. And it was pretty slow then too, right? Um, I don't know how fast it was back then. I don't remember. So you, so you went and met Andy. Did, did you did you just say, dude, I want to cut your wingtips off? Or no, I showed how up. How did I go? <laughs> I showed up asking to look at the airplane. And then I was going to work up to asking to give him a resume or something. I didn't know how any of this worked. Yeah. So uh, I showed up. I had a Precious Metal hat on because I'd seen Precious Metal over Christmas the previous year. We were in Florida for over Christmas and New Year's and picked up some shrimp shirts and stuff. Um, so he had already stalked me on LinkedIn, apparently. Saw I was an engineer and said, do you want to come work on stuff? And I was like, uh, yeah. <laughs> do you need to, like, to vet me or something? He's like, no, you, you found me, so that's good enough. Um, so he gave me a T-shirt and gave me some, uh, I think I, he gave me an ADI pump to go model in CAD, and that was my first assignment. And you did well? What happened? Did you? I, I didn't get fired, so so I, I did the CAD file like by the end of the weekend and then just started coming out to the airport whenever he said he was out there. Nice. That's um, the way to do it. So then you start hanging out with them. Um, yeah, Um that, I was right before PRS for that year. 15, you said? In 15. So that was the year that the prop departed. On the way home. Yeah. So I saw him the first time. He put me in touch with uh, Andre Prager, who was one of the other guys on the team at the time, worked with Steel for, with him. Yeah, out and of so, Virginia still? Out of Virginia Beach, yeah. They were coworkers. And the project there was when we made the new cowling. So that's where the minions go. It's... Uh, two inlets to go directly into the turbochargers. The mod that year, well, the previous year, well, all the previous years at that point, was there was a NACA duct in the middle of the cowling at the bottom, right in front of the nose gear, and then it would go into... Some, and that was the air intake? That was the, yes, that would feed the turbo. So it'd go into a hose, and then the hose would split off, and then it'd loop around, come back into the turbo, and they'd lose all their ram air. So the plan was to ditch the NACA duct and put two just scoop inlets in the front. And so I ended up working with that. But while we were working on that, he went to PRS on the way back, shed the prop. And then the plane didn't come back to Virginia until months later. So define shred the prop for people listening. <laughs> <laughs> I think the official term is the prop departed. So uh, coming back from PRS, uh, something punched through the crankcase and locked the prop up. And then the prop kept going, pulled the nuts off the sheared the bolts yep sheared the threads the the studs were still in the crank so so, so you probably had like a bearing go hot and then stuck a bearing i don't remember what the cause through was a rod, and then crankshaft would have stopped instantly yeah through a rod the, through the shaft and then sheared the threads off the studs and right. the prop ended up somewhere in the desert so, so the, so the kind of root cause of that is basically that the engine stopped and then the prop just kept spinning. Yeah, prop kept going. It was instant stoppage. Yeah. So then he was over the desert somewhere. Yeah. And what ended up happening? He had to glide for several miles to the nearest runway. But he was up high coming home, right? He was up high. He had, he had energy to spare. Was anybody with him? Uh, his fiance. I don't think they were married yet. Yeah, his fiance Jackie was with him. Flew home. I think they had just. I think he had just proposed to her too. So well, they had just gotten married. It's been a while, but so he, he he glided miles to a runway, found a runway. 
Yep. Made the runway. Made the runway. Uh, also didn't realize for the first several minutes that the prop actually was gone. He mm-hmm. went through the whole instinct of feathering the prop and everything. And it was there was oil all over the windscreen, so he couldn't tell anyways. So it was only later that he figured that out. And it probably helped because there was less drag on the airplane. Yeah. And it didn't mess up the CG. So then they trucked it home? Uh, they trucked it to, uh, I think it was either his father or father-in-law's place took the wings off and then that's where they got another engine bolted that together got it back to virginia uh, had to get wrapped also that's when i got the first the second wrap where it was orange and had the chainsaw wings for the first time oh yeah and so that all took a while then the cowling that i was still working on was done in parallel because andre had scanned the whole airplane he had a 3d scanner for his ipad attachment so we had that file already, and so we did the CAD for the, the inlets and then got those worked out, 3D printed them, worked them into the, the new cowling, and then all that kind of came together right before Reno that year. So and then the speeds came up, I think, as he was able to make more RAM, more Yeah, boost. so there there was a progression of finding new problems the faster you go. So 2014... The year before I started, the issue was ram air into the, the turbos was the limitation. So then we changed the cowling so you had inlets where it was just a straight shot. And that was no longer the issue, but getting enough fuel flow to compensate was the problem. And there was a bunch of stuff that we tried in 2016 to try and compensate for that, and that's where we had a bunch of maydays. And that was like a bigger pump and a bigger, like bigger jets? I don't think we had the bigger pump in 2016. That's why the Mateys happened. Hmm. Um, it was just then, going lean and quitting? And then we had an uh, oil change. I think we changed to full synthetic in 2017, after the 2016 Maydays. Because 2015, we came in third. 2016, we didn't finish the gold race. Um, 2017 was when we got the bigger pump. So we also had a... We had the different oil, a bigger fuel pump, and we had also, uh, Andy had come up with a custom piston fit, and that helped prevent the issues from 2016 when the pistons burned up. So you combine all those things, and he had a new uh, SDS, the fuel system and management. So all that was working great, and on the everything works good the whole week, and on the Gold race, he gets into some turbulence behind Jeff Lavelle going into, like, lap one or lap two after the the lap zero. And I think you can tell he's catching him if you watched all the the video back um, when he goes into the pylons three and four. And uh, the new fuel system has a potentiometer knob, and it was very free. So he gets into the turbulence and bumps it, didn't realize it, and that's when it went full rich. And uh, motor stopped, he declares a mayday, and by the time he's pulled up, he's realized what's happened, but then there's a big issue of you just declared a mayday, what do you do next? Do you, yeah, there's no coming back do down you, on the do course. You talk, I suppose there's a way to talk it back out and like come back down after everyone's passed, but then you'd have to pass everyone again. So in the name of safety, he stays up. So we ended up fixing that very quickly after we got back with like a two dollar o-ring just <laughs> squished an o-ring between the the knob and the panel i think we still have that there so so that was the fix in 2017 
um, and then 18, that's when the wingtips came off. Um, and wait, wait, define that. Yeah. They came off or you took them off? They were cut off deliberately. <laughs> um, so how did that conversation go? Just call up Andy like, hey, I want to chop your wings off? Uh, so that's like a seven-month development for all the wrong reasons. Um, so in 17, we were pitted across from Kevin Eldridge, and so I was looking at NXT wingtips for the entire week, wondering why can't we have that uh, under the assumption that they were doing something uh, beneficial. So, so what's special about the NXT wingtips? What's what's different about them? They're they're very swoopy and pointed. Um, it's swept uh, back, right? Swept back. I don't remember the the term now. There was a there is a term for what they are. They you can find them on like the the new airliners, like the the Max and the seven triple seven, and. Um, so I had reached out to John Sharp because I had gotten his email about what they were, and he had directed me to some NASA papers. And so we had some basic design factors, sweep angles, things like that to go off of. And then Andy got in touch with Kurt Burris, who's a former Skunk Works guy, and we were trying to integrate this swept curvy wingtip onto the Legacy which wasn't the integration part isn't terribly difficult because it's fiberglass out on the tip. There's a transition outside the fuel tank, so you you cut that off, you make your new wingtip shape, whatever it is, and you lay up a flange, and then you screw it all down with nut plates. So that part wasn't difficult. But what we were trying to do is we were trying to optimize everything so that if you look at from the front and you were to draw the outline of the upper and lower surface of the wing, you want the upper surface to be nice and straight. You don't want it to have any curves in it because now you're adding area. That's more drag. And uh, you're also trying to keep the bottom surface straight too. And then we're also trying to taper the airflow thickness down because, again, less frontal area, less drag. And then the last factor we were trying to squeeze in was we were trying to add some twists to drop the angle of attack down again, to reduce the, the drag so that they're only generating lift in the turns, which is when you might need them. So you had all those factors, and it was over-constrained. We couldn't get it to work. And we even like ended up 3D printing a, a model, a full-scale model, to try and figure out what was happening and why we couldn't get all these constraints to play nicely together. And so this iteration goes on for like six months of emailing back and forth with Kurt and Andy and me and uh, and Rob, who's another guy that was helping us at the time with, with the CAD and the printing. And after six months, I kind of got frustrated and said, what if we just chopped them off? Thinking that Kurt would laugh at me and say, you know, you're crazy. And he goes, well, actually that might work. Uh, here's the way you do the math on that. So he tells me how to, to check the, basically the CD values of the parasitic area and the induced drag. And we had the G-force data from the telemetry from all the previous years based on the speed. And I was able to build a spreadsheet that modeled an entire lap. And given G-force data, you can get CL values because we had the airfoil, which then gave you CD values for each 
section of the track. I think it's divided into 100-foot segments or something like that. It was kind of arbitrary. So CD and CL, that's coefficient of drag and lift? Yep. And then you add up the total coefficient of drag of just the um, of the, the airfoil at certain angle of attack, and then that you also can calculate induced drag based on total wing area, uh, things like that, and uh, an aspect ratio. So aspect ratio and total wing area, you can then put into a formula to calculate induced drag, which was the more complicated one. So you add all that together for an entire lap, and you get some number. And you compare that number to the same process of the stock wing, and if the modified wing was smaller, then... Do it. Come. Yeah. And so that's, that's what we did and uh, sent the results back to Kurt, and he says, knock them off. <laughs> so after six months of going back and forth on trying to figure out if we should or how we should do this, um, we made that decision, and between Andy and us, and I did the CAD, and Tom McNerney cut the mold and did the layups for the parts, the, the actual parts were done in like a week or two um, in time for Reno. Wow. So how'd you cut them off? Did you use a saw? I actually wasn't there. Um, so I believe so. <laughs> so is there any like negative effects of having those shorter wings? What are or those short I guess there is. The effect is it's a little bit mushier at low speed. Um, and then it doesn't float as much when you come in to, to flare. But I believe everything else is is smoother and more fun. Um in terms of number of rolls, you can get three rolls in a stock legacy before you have to pull out of it with the clipped wings where you chop, you're cutting, a, you cut 14 inches off each side and then you add two back, which is, it's just a, a curved shape to round it out. Um, so you're cutting a foot off on net and then you can get four rolls. So the roll response is better. Um, it's faster around the course. Uh, the end result was when we compared the two numbers is the induced drag, at least for sport class on the unlimited course, is negligible. So it's all about reducing frontal area and parasitic drag. This is a, this is a good lesson, I think, for um, future air racers, air racers and current air racers. The theme I'm hearing is before you make a mod, do the engineering. Make sure it works on paper before you actually do it and try it. Avoid the guess and check. Yeah, it's 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 all possible. It's it's all just math. It for for better or for worse. Um. But that that's kind of the success story there that I'm hearing from you is all these mods were carefully thought out, carefully designed, developed, and you had high confidence that it would work and uh, a decent idea of the performance gain before you made the mod. Yeah, so after we did a bunch of things that year, so there was that was when we moved from the wrap to the paint because um, the wrap was starting to come apart. We were going fast enough that it was peeling away. So painted everything on the airplane, painted the sponsors, then clear-coated under it. So now the surface finish was smooth. And then there's uh, a couple extra latches that I think Mike Patey had added to Turbulence that Andy bought and installed on the plane and so all those things were done separately so between 
the paint and the latches, which were done at the same time, he was flying back and going cross country. He would experiment unlatching the canopy and latching the canopy. You could see it lifting up and down because the the low pressure goes over the top of the canopy and tries to suck it up. And uh, there's some other pictures back from like 2015, 2016, which are annoying my OCD, but because he's up in a, a bank in the turn, the cockpit was dark blue at the time. And because he's in the turn at that right angle, you can see white between the canopy and the fuselage where the canopy has started to separate, separate sideways. Um, so these wedges and latches that were installed fixed that, but he could experiment with those on and off in the flight. And so he would see a two knot gain at cruising speeds. And then he saw an additional two knot gain with the paint. And then he flew a test square once we installed the new wingtips. And I think he saw a third two knot gain with the wingtips. So then you scale those up to race speeds and it was basically five, six knots for each mod. Wow. So what's a test square? Uh, it's where you go up to altitude and you fly uh, equal legs, um, you know, north, south, east, west, and then you can take the average, which negates out wind, and then you can compare that to, you can fly multiple conditions so that you can then test the with and without to get an actual decision on whether or not what you've done has worked. Nice. So I like that. So you, you took a, a stock legacy uh, in summary here. And you incrementally brought the speed and performance up through horsepower and drag reduction from maybe a 300-mile-an-hour sport-class airplane up to, what was your qualifying record? Um, I don't think we've topped 400 in qualifying, but it's like 390-something. It's a high 390s, basically flirting with 400. Yeah, we did 402 in 2018 during the race. What uh, Average. What, what's wow. planned right now for for next year do you, next are you guys year, working on anything can you share anything or will andy kick you off the team for that <laughs> I, I actually don't know i know that the uh the four blade prop is playing to stay which was the big change for this past year and that was both we thought it would go faster there was um we got additional angle out of the blades and with the the bigger hub and then the studs attaching to the crank uh, were larger on the four-blade hub. And we had noticed that the studs on the three-blade were starting to stretch. Ooh. So didn't have any of those issues on the four-blade, so the four-blade will be staying. Um, outside of that, the biggest thing we were lacking is we didn't have our higher boost setting. And so it's either going to be to further optimize what we've got or start scaling things up again wait wait you did not have your higher boost this year right so this year there was a lot of wind right and we had the heat on saturday got scrubbed so after we won the heat on friday the plan was to bump the boost up again on saturday and then that didn't happen so we didn't have any data points so then on sunday the question is you're starting on the pole do you bump the settings up again and risk throwing away a win or do you stick with what you think is going to work and so the ultimate decision was to stick with the saturday setting that we didn't get to use and jeff had more in the tank than we thought that makes sense yeah that's too bad it sucks but 
Oh, yeah, well. of course. Means That's racing. To, just get to go and uh, compete, compete I mean, next year, right? I mean, 2015 was my first year, and we finished third, and I was ecstatic. So, <laughs> so now that now that sport classes, you, you kind of have three all vying for first. You have um, your group, Jeff and Jim Rust. Um, is that the I guess the future of Reno? Is that now the new Unlimiteds? Um, I'm sure there's going to be four at some point here. And it seems to be growing, not shrinking, like Unlimiteds. Where is that going? The, the thing that always kind of confuses me with sport class and being compared with Unlimited is there will be people say that sport class needs to go Unlimited or there needs to be an Unlimited sport class, which to me is kind of an oxymoron because for all intents and purposes and, and practicality, sport is Unlimited. The limitation on sport is that the engine is under a thousand cubic inches, and I don't think there is a thousand cubic inch aircraft engine out there, so it's not really a limitation. The only limitation is that we're saying don't go buy a World War II engine and try and stick it on a glass air or a legacy, which is just saving everyone a bunch of time and money. I don't think anyone deep down actually wants to do that. So if you ignore that option, which I don't think anyone wants, and I don't think it helps anything in, in terms of excitement or engineering or, or entertainment, sport class is unlimited. So It's a little more like Formula One where you got a specific size limit and, and whatnot. I mean, it, there's no market demand for a 1,000 cubic inch engine, so it doesn't exist. I mean, even – I mean – if it doesn't exist, then there's not, is there really a limit? Yeah, probably the biggest one in sport class is almost 600 cubic inches. You're not even think, close to a thousand. I think the Falconer V12 is is up there. Yeah, it's big. But but it's low boost. Right, and none of them are, are turbocharged. Yeah. Yeah, they've got a single supercharger. But I think they're the biggest one out there in terms of displacement. I guess the, there was the 780 that Kevin had on Relentless. Right. But, which but, is gone now. But I don't think there's anything, practically speaking, that's bigger. Maybe you're outlawing twins, if if you, we want to talk about like what that rule is limiting. But in all practicality, I don't think that rule stops. I don't think anyone's wishing that that rule was 1100 or 1200. Yeah, nobody's pushing that rule at all. No. So for all intents and purposes, sport class is unlimited. From a fan perspective... Is there a bigger following now with Sport Class than there is Unlimited? I know Unlimited has the legacy following. I really can't tell. It's close, it, isn't it? And that, I think I'm a little biased or in a in a bubble because I see all the, the posts from other pilots and teams. I know I would like there to be a bigger following for Sport. I think there's enough stories and personality and stuff in there, and at least they they'll they'll share more of what they're doing. But I, deep down, I don't think there's as big a, a following for sport. Yeah, it seems like there's a it, it seems like a very different culture between unlimited and sport. Unlimited seems to be 
take the plane out of the ha- take the plane out of the hangar out of the museum and throw it around the course every year. Whereas sports seems to be a lot of guys pushing pushing their planes uh, every single year. Well, unlimited depends on which plane you're talking about. Also, yeah. right? There's you got your Strega Voodoo, Dagered Checkmate that are all pushing all the limits. And then there's Dreadnought, which I I don't know that much about, so I'll not say too much, but generally their strategy is take something that they know is consistent and will work, and then they run that all week, and you force everyone else to beat you or break. So I don't know that I would call that pushing as many limits either. But they've got a strategy, and it works for them. And then you've got the museum planes, which are out there, and they're definitely trying to not break something. So Unlimited covers a very wide range of airplanes and owners and motivations. And sport class, I I would guess, is doing the same thing. I mean, even Formula One, right? You got your, your stock cassettes versus your high performance, like Justin and Justin. Yeah, snowshoes and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so from, a, I guess, a Reno uh, uh, sport growth perspective, they've there's been a lot of talk about changing the format of the Reno Air Races in various ways, um, various talk on forums and so on. Where do you see, um, what, what do you think would be good for Reno to do or change um, to enhance their um, long-term survivability, sustainability? Um, well, going back to the sport growth, which I think I missed the last one, uh, the nice thing about sport is because it's, so big is you actually have to push throughout the whole class just to make the field. So it used to be there's a bunch of RVs and now there's not nearly as many as there used to because they're not fast enough to actually qualify. Mm -hmm. And there's a limit on how many planes they'll allow on the ramp. So it's not even, you know, you could have a hundred sport planes show up, qualify for the four heats. It's actually a limit of how many planes get to even show up to qualify for the four heats. So it's competitive before it even, starts which is cool it's a good problem and then right. when and then based on the heat format with you know a b c d the way you get close to racing is you have to bunch everyone together and the way you bunch everyone together is you have more planes than slots so that's pretty cool to see um as far as updates to the format I really don't know. Um, I know Sport Class has enough planes to fill all the heats that they've they're being cut off. I think the cool thing that they've done is they brought in the medallion racers onto the T six course so that their races don't take as long. And it's I think also more fun to watch because the planes stay closer. Um, so I think that type of thinking is good and they can try out those ideas and if they work great and if it doesn't then try something else from a fan perspective I know on the forums there's been talk about expanding the air show side of the Reno air races Uh, you were telling me about that yesterday or two days ago now Um, is that the right way to go Uh, and if so should they reduce the number of races and which group should be reduced or straight across the board? 
the I'm asking hard questions on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know there's a bit of like a confirmation bias, so that if if fewer people are if it's hard to get people interested in the racing itself, so then you have to go to the local population to fill seats at the air show, then your marketing analysis reacher is just going to say that the air show is how you fill seats, which then says that the air show is what makes the most money, um, which I guess would all be true, but then the real answer is if you, you need to find a way to get air race fans that are interested in air racing, if that's what you want. If you want air racing, then you need more air racing fans and the and then you use the, the local people to help get you back into the black. That's the way I see it too. If if you want to have an air race, you need to find air racing fans. How do you and how do you fans. make how do you make air racing fans? I really don't know. I kind of I was always into airplanes as a kid, so and then I've I've always been into racing of some kind, watch NASCAR a lot as a kid. And then kind of grew out of that, and then I got into Formula One car racing lately with the the Netflix show and stuff. But so combining airplanes and racing was pretty easy for me. So I, I see there's kind of the sport, the technology and aircraft, and then the people in air racing. And I see fans that are interested in those three things in varying degrees on like a spectrum, a scale. Each, each person scores differently on each of those three things interest-wise. I see sport class, and um, I'm biased probably, but F1, I'd say, have the best character and technology because the planes are not just sport flyers or adapted military airplanes. They are thoroughbred racing airplanes, uh, in, sport class included. They're not, they're not just stock glass Air 3s or whatever. Um, people wise, um, I find that people that modify a race plane, uh, extensively tend to be interesting characters. Not many people are willing to take that risk. And then sport wise, I find the, the, um, competition is the most exciting in the classes that are hardcore racing. I think, the, comp- I think the competition is the best in the classes that are full. Right. right, which I talked about a little bit already, right? You, if you, I mean, this has happened in the Formula 1 class since I've been going. So I think in 15, the Formula 1 class was kind of sparse. Mm-hmm. And then in a later year, it was all the same airplanes, but then you'd added new ones. And so all of a sudden, like the bronze race might be the best race of the whole week. Yes. Right. You've, you've been a part of that. Yeah. yeah <laughs> and, and so I think in order for a, for a good race, you really only need one good battle yeah. for, for people to watch, right? Because you can't watch eight airplanes anyways. And the, for the smaller courses, you can watch them all the way around. So you really only need one or two good battles per race for it to be interesting. Mm-hmm. To keep people excited. Right. And in order for that to happen, they have to be close. Like Sport Silver is arguably the best race on average. Yes. Because you got three Lance airs and two glass airs that are all within like three miles an hour of each other. And if they qualify out of order, that's when the racing's really good because you got 
the slightly slower one in front, and a guy in second who can't quite make the pass, and then the guy in third who's stuck because you can't making a pass outside two planes is way harder than making the pass on one. And so then eventually, you know, someone will make a, they'll make the pass on, you know, Friday. And so the race on Saturday gets changed because now the faster plane has been bumped up. They're clear. They start in the pole. They pull away. They bump them into gold the next race. But up until, say, Sunday or Saturday, the silver race in sport is normally totally up for grabs. Yeah, I agree. That's. I think that the tight racing is the most exciting when the speeds of the airplanes are very similar to each other. And you get that when the class is full. Right. In in some gold races like Sand Limited with Dreadnought, for example, it'll win every time by a mile or a full lap. Literal mile. More. <laughs> Five yeah. miles. Well, well, Miss America kind of kept it close. And that was the one battle well, that, Miss- that, that, that kept the, the unlimited gold interesting. Well, Miss America yes. was in silver for most of the week, so... Yeah, Miss America's probably my favorite modern racer to watch now that the the Super Mustangs are out. Um, Just because they're actually demonstrating the spirit of racing and pushing it. They're not just a stock Mustang running stock power settings. Right, and they're changing stuff and installing new mods or or mods from other airplanes. The airplane's covered in speed tape. It's got mods from various other racers from, from previous eras on it. And every year they come out with something different. And it gets faster and faster. Yeah, we, we see them, we go out there at the on the ramp at like 10 o'clock at night, and they're out there with a whole bunch of halogen lights going and working on that plane every single night. Yeah, exactly. And that that's, I think, the, the racing spirit is always come with something faster. You know, make changes and, and see see if you can go faster and faster every year and beat your, your nemesis. Now, um, I well, guess... Well, even Unlimited Silver this year was fun because uh, Jeff Lavelle was in it, and he's not flying around to not break his airplane he actually wants to win and so the speeds weren't the same as unlimited gold but he he actually missed i think it was the thursday or friday heat because it was a conflict with the the sport race so he he chose to race in sport class instead but then that had bumped him down he had to start and last on the the next day so then he had to spend two three days working his way up and then on sunday i think he finally got the the lead and stayed out front but that was again it takes one plane or, or one battle to make a heat race interesting and if you've got someone starting the back who's making passes or if there are two guys that are close and then that's what you need i don't know that you can guarantee that each time but that seems to be what's the most fun to watch why don't we go class by class here why aren't some of these classes full to keep them interesting. Because interesting racing brings fans. Fran, fans bring cash. Cash keeps the racing going. Why? What, what can F1 class do to, to grow its, its fan base and its racing, class, its racing numbers? Um, I think you're asking me questions I'm a little less than qualified to answer. Um, I know F one well, was F one was full uh, a couple years ago. Yeah, um, had three full heats, and I want to say was had more than three heats worth of airplanes. But then people would scratch last minute because scheduling or or whatever. So those people are out there. I had, I attributed this year to COVID. Uh, 
Yeah. I don't know if that's correct, but that's that was my assumption. We lost all the or all the international racers because they couldn't get in the country. Right. So I figure once that gets cleared up, then F1 would have three full heats again. That's kind of my thought too. So I wasn't too worried about that. What about biplane? Because they're they're kind of um, they're kind of in a, a rut right now, I guess. With uh, reduced numbers. I don't know Phantoms too much about out. biplane. Um, I was trying to help Sam Swift this year with some wingtip mods that we we couldn't justify in terms of the structural integrity. Um, but it's also it's a little weird trying to work on that because we were trying to add wingtips onto a wood wing and working with wood in terms of you know safety factor values was a little bit weird mm-hmm. and, and so it was, it was a bunch of unknowns and then by the time we picked something conservative it was unreasonable it's like okay there's no way we can satisfy these conservative values and we would have to start like destructively testing a wing to see if we could get by with what we were doing so it didn't happen but i think that might be part of it it's it's kind of hard to modify those planes at least that's what the feeling I got this past year. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of those airplanes are aerobatic competition airplanes outside of Reno. Right. So I think it's I think it's hard to, to do stuff to them. It's kind of like a niche, I find. I guess, but there's supposed to be a bunch of them. So if it kind of pulls into the T6 thing, right, if there's a bunch of a type of airplane, then getting enough airplanes, if speed isn't what makes the racing exciting, it's parody then I, I wouldn't think there should be a problem. I don't know how many international pilots they have, so I don't, I don't know that class as well. Well, part of it too is the Phantom was always so Phantom wasn't there this year, but it was there all the previous years. And even just look at that plane, you know it's going to win every single time, and win by a mile, an absolute mile. I think it laps the field twice, on, generally. Yeah, generally, yeah. But it's also give credit to building an airplane to satisfy all of the rules for rules that kind of try to make that airplane illegal, but they do it anyways. Yeah. They earned it. Yeah. 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 It it would be really nice to see a few planes like that instead of just one out there, just walking away from everybody. Yes. I think the, I think the appropriate answer to Phantom is someone else needs to step up. Sorceress. Sorceress or, um, there was a boomerang that was on the drawing board that, that looked really cool. Um, I think the appropriate answer to Phantom is to go take them down, not not to ban them. Yeah, and uh, I definitely agree with that. Yeah, and that would be cool. That would be a really whatever airplane that did that would be a fan favorite immediately. What about T six? Why, why there's a gazillion stock T sixes out there. Why don't they race? No idea. I'd love to know that because I don't know either. I can't figure that out. It seems like it'd be a huge hit if I don't. I'd take it racing. I, I do know that, um, like, you look, you walk around. Uh, I was clued into this a couple of years ago, walking around. And it was like, do you really think that those T6s are quote unquote stock? It's like, I don't know. What, what, what is he points to the speeds? Like, there's no way these speeds are, are perfectly stock. Oh, no. And, and power, too. And uh, you start looking around, and you look into, like, there's stuff in the gear wells, right? There's, like, gap seals and little pieces of silicone. So when the gear retracts, it uh, stops the air from flowing around there. And there's all the tape all over the place. So 
that one I feel like that would be kind of fun trying to walk the line of what's technically legal, <laughs> which could be a little bit fun for a little while. Um, but there should be enough T6s out there to fill the field. But when T6 is such a different race, too big, lumbering, loud. The the weird thing with T6 is sometimes the racing is very, very close. Oh, yeah. Right. You'll have three planes all bunched up together or, or more. And sometimes, same airplanes, the very next day, they all get spread out. I don't know enough about what it takes to run one of those or what tuning takes place or what they're changing in terms of baffling or, or things like that or mixture or whatever. I don't, I don't know what goes into that. My understanding is that you can miss the setup. I don't know what that means specifically, but, but sometimes they'll be right on top of each other and others, same airplanes, same year, they won't. And I, I don't understand what goes into that. You have to yeah. talk to one of them. I think sport and, um, well, I guess we can talk about jet too. So I think bo- both of those classes are pretty healthy right now. I think jet's healthy. And competitive. I, cool thing about jet, I think, is um, they've got their their pace plane is actually a sponsored position, which I think is awesome. Oh, mean? yeah. It's like a Honda jet, isn't it? So Honda jet, was the, this was the first time. But I think they had the Epic one year was a, was the pace. And then, oh, yeah. And then um, I forget what the other one was. The, the Falcon, I think. Um, but their pace jet is a sponsorship. It's on their website. Mm. And, uh, and that's why the Honda jet got a little demo. Um, while the jets take off and they go off, they form up behind the mountain. Oh yeah. And then the other Honda jet takes off and does a little quick routine, couple of air show passes and then lands. Um, so I think that's really cool. That's a good idea. Um, I, I would think if the Honda jet is fast enough to do, pace for the jets you could at least do pace for unlimited silver mm-hmm. unlimited bronze yeah um which would be cool but i don't know what who gets to make those decisions what's the future of unlimited class it's the last one we haven't talked about yet i think unlimited can continue i think there's a little bit of expectation management which helps with avoiding disappointment. So I think it'll be Dreadnought and hopefully Miss America going back and forth for as many years as they can last. Until Miss America catches up or Until, crashes and burns. Yeah. Hopefully not the, the crashing and burning part. Um, yeah, we're I, I don't like know what the... Precious metal. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know what the, the, the current story is with Miss America... It got all crazy after Reno about them not coming back, but then they said they might. So I guess we'll see next year. I think if they come back and they come back a little bit faster, I think they can, and Dreadnought doesn't change anything, then I think Miss American can complete the pass. Um, I mean, you and I were watching the race together, and if Miss America keeps the, I think if they do a little practice on flight line, I think they get them because mm-hmm. the, coming out of the value of speed, Dreadnought would turn and Miss America would turn, you know, maybe half a second later, which when you're going that fast, there's a lot of distance that you're missing out on. And then there was the, that happened on the, the last lap when they cut 
the the show line. So I think you work on the race line, and you keep the mods and you keep the reliability. I think they got them. I would agree. Um, but then you know, tsunamis in in restoration. I know their intention is to race it, assuming the races last that long. And even if they don't, they're still going to work on it because they want to take the three kilometer. So hopefully that can get can keep moving. They're making good progress. A three kilometer. The speed, speed record. Speed record. And then uh, I heard that Shockwave was purchased. So hopefully that can be moving along too. What about composites? Is there a composite like another pond racer that that would be worth building? Um, engines are a problem right now. Probably engines are the biggest um, budget limiter for prospective unlimited pilots. Yeah, there was there was pond racer. I've heard those molds are floating around, um, but I don't think anyone. It'd be hard to build. Yeah, I don't think anyone expects that to be a 500-mile-an-hour airframe anyways. The fastest pond racer went was 400, and I think we have we officially went faster than that a couple of years ago in the Legacy. So, And then also the pond racer was too light now because there's the 4,500-pound oh, yeah. empty. So if you were to design a race from scratch, you'd want it to come out 4,501. All engine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then you load it full of fluids and stuff. Well, now we're back to who makes a large piston engine now. Nobody. Right. You'd have to basically use some V12 or giant radial. You're like a marine engine or something. Yeah. I think that was looked at, but there was a, a paper that someone did. I don't remember what, who did it, but there was um, a research paper on what it would take to build a new unlimited Reno racer, and they looked at things like a marine engine. Um, they also did had a crazy concept where the prop was actually in the middle of the fuselage, um, like an unducted fan. Um, so they tried a bunch of stuff, um, but it was all theoretical. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for now, we stick with the, the riveted metal. Yeah. I know there's uh, Furiouses out there too, and I don't think it's been worked on in a while. Yeah, you think there's a chance that um, that sport class could uh, out outpace the unlimiteds in speed? I think it'll be a while. Where we had on the 402 race in 2018, I think our fastest lap was like 408. And there's some funny math because they they changed the way the speeds are calculated in 2017, I think, so everyone lost like 2% of their speed. Um, so Dreadnought used to be like a 450 airplane, but now it's a 430 airplane. Mm-hmm. And Jeff Lavelle used to be doing 412, but then he dropped down to 402. So I think our fastest lap was 410. I don't know how much more we got. Um you can always push more power and you can start cutting more wings off and stuff, but we cut the wings off at the the end of the fuel tank. But it if, gets, if eventually you go fast enough, the tail's coming off. Right. It becomes a, a structural problem, too. Do you know when that is? Um, we It's past what we're doing right now. So you have – sport class has to dive test at uh, – I forget what the percentage is. It's yeah. like 100 – 
10% of yeah. race speed or something I think like that. we all do. Yeah. So, so 110% of like 410 is, 440. is, yeah, is what we're rated for. Which is probably pretty close to your shoot speed. Which is what we can get there on, on a, in a dive. Mm-hmm. But pulling G's around the course, sustained for six laps, I don't know. Have you done any math into what it would take for that tail to come off? 500, 600? I haven't. I know that they looked at that in, I think that would have been in 14. It would have been between 13 and 14, I think. And they, they wrapped it in... Uh, several layers of carbon. They did the tail wrap. They did. They did the tail wrap when they did the belly mod. Right. So that's that's the the legacy. But what if uh, what about um, obviously we've th- seen things like the uh, what the NXI, um, NXT, NXT, yeah, the NXT and and stuff. Is there any uh, clean sheet uh, designs specifically for racing out there that could potentially start nipping at the heels of the unlimited? Um. Unpopular opinion. I don't know that the NXT airframe is inherently that much faster than the Lance Air. And I get this from looking at, there was a one practice flight that Andy and Kevin did for a while and they got a bunch of cool pictures. And you look at the two side by side and it's basically the same airplane. You just shift some stuff around. So the wing is basically in the same spot relative to the engine. Tails in the same spot, the same length, same wingspan. The only thing different is the canopy on the NXT is farther aft, which then changes the whole shaping of the fuselage um, coming back to it. So now the, the taper is actually sharper on the NXT, I think, than it is on the Legacy, at least with the, the Legacy with the belly mod, which kind of... Yeah, because it stays wider for the cockpit. Right. So the only thing that... Now, if you're going, like, supersonic that becomes an issue because you have the you know, area ruling and stuff yeah you're failing at the area rule. right and i i've read that area ruling has an effect at subsonic speeds to a degree but it's not anywhere near as pronounced as you know minor effect right and we're doing mock like 0. 0.4 0. 0.5 right so we're not anywhere near that so the benefit of having the canopy farther aft I think is a little compensated by the taper of the fuselage down to the tail. Yeah. So to answer Brian's question, no. They do have they don't have a nose gear, so they lose some weight there. Yeah. Well and they it looks like they have and I haven't seen, you know, much about the plane, but it looks like they have a lot of space to to pack engine up there. What if they're what if the those guys specifically started packing, you know, nine hundred thousand cubic inches of, of engine and then turbocharging that? I actually don't know what goes behind the firewall. They've got the same engine compartment. Yeah. That's a good point. Fuel tank? Uh, maybe fuel tank? I think there's a big tank there. Fuel tank and put the fuel right in the CG? Yeah. Yeah. And then there's spray bar and ADI stuff in there too. But all that's on the CG for us also. Yeah. We just put mm-hmm. the We just put the spray bar water in the wing now. So what? Uh, so what's going to be the limitation for for you guys, um, and and what's going to be the the solution for that? Like, are are you eventually going to just completely tap out what you can do to your existing engine, to your your airframe, and then what are you guys? What's kind of the thought on that? I think the physical limitation is eventually you 
pushed so much boost that the cylinders the yeah the cylinders would literally explode. We haven't done that yet. We haven't tested that. <laughs> we have some burnt cylinders from 2016 that we've discussed trying to do that. <laughs> that would be that'd be fun, but we haven't actually done that. So there there'd be that physical failure point and then we are fatiguing the crankshaft for sure so you've got a failure point there and the rods but you probably put big rods in anyways so and then chances of props departing (laughs) so i think those are the physical mechanical limitations yeah and then if you up if you upsize the crank and the rods then you have a case problem (laughs) right now you've got a custom engine yeah. So you're more you're more or less running a stock engine with a lot of boost, unlike something like um, what Turbulence used to have that, uh, I guess it's in Scrappy now or whatever, where he's got that bigger built-out engine, eh? Yeah, that was displacement. Yeah. But the low boost. Yeah. And I think those cranks are thin, too, compared to what you guys are running. Oh, I think it's the same size, but it's got... Oh, yeah, but four more cylinders. Right. So relatively, it is thinner, but I think physically it's the same. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, should we go run that motor downstairs? <laughs> could be fun. Yeah. Is there anything else we want to talk about here? We could talk about how cold it is. <laughs> yeah. Good idea, actually. Oh yeah, let's talk about that. Yeah. So, so Thomas, is... we're we're filming this from Edmonton, Alberta, the fifth coldest place in the entire world today. And yesterday and the day before. It's like minus 35. Uh, thir- minus 36 is the is the low point today. I, w- I walked out of the airport Not with Tom. Not like three of the next, like four of the next top five coldest places are also like in the vicinity. Yes, within so. two, 200 miles of here. I've been told that it is colder here than Antarctica. It's true. Which sounds impressive. So I don't, I don't know if that's impressive, but it sounds impressive. Thomas walked out of the airport with me and his first uh, expression was, Oh, when he left the door. <laughs> well, and the very next thing he said was, "My nostril hairs are freezing." <laughs> it was very uncomfortable. What What is your perspective of the current situation you're in? Well, the locals tell me that it is effing cold outside. <laughs> so, I guess it's cold outside. <laughs> it all stereotypes and expectations of Canada in the winter have been met or exceeded. <laughs> I mean, when we landed, we landed 10 minutes early, and then we pull up to the gate, and we stop. And we sit there for a while, and the pilot comes over and, and announces on the intercom that the jet bridge is broken because it's so cold. <laughs> so that was my first Edmonton experience. Oh, and the plastic suits in Toronto? I did experience that too. That was that was when I got random checked for COVID. Don't have COVID, by the way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if I was gonna get COVID, that would have been the place because they pack all the people that they're going to random check in one room in close proximity. <laughs> so, if I didn't get COVID, then I think I'm okay. That's so funny. So now now you're here to you're you're gonna run the electric motor here with us over the next day or two. And then head out the day after that, right when it warms up. <laughs> My expectations will have been fulfilled, and I will just assume it's this cold all year round. <laughs> you know, one other thing you have to do before you leave is go for a walk out on the ice. 
Okay. In the blizzard. We'll suit up and we'll go. All right. Well, should we wrap it up here? Yeah, I think that's a good place to wrap it up. All right. Thanks for uh, recording this with us, Tom. Sure. Thanks for coming up.